Merry Christmas. Welcome to the Father and Son Watch Horror Movies Podcast. This is episode 26. I am your co-host, The Father, also known as Pastor Matt, also known as Matt Rawlings. And I'm joined, as always, by my trusty co-host... Jackson, the son, and I've decided that this year, instead of roasting chestnuts or strategically planting mistletoe, I'm going to smash a few grand pianos to get in a festive spirit. (laughs) Well, that should tell you that we are a spoiler podcast. We spoil the movies we discuss, and today we're talking about the 1974 holiday classic, Black Christmas. Remember those idyllic scenes out of your childhood? Crisp winter nights, sleigh bells, crackling yule logs? Remember those? Remember them well. After Black Christmas, they'll never be the same again. Black Christmas. If this movie doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight. Rated R. So, Jackson, we've seen this movie a couple times, actually, over the last week, thanks to uh, Joe Bob. And we had originally planned on a Black Christmas versus Black Christmas versus Black Christmas but boy, oh boy, um, I didn't like the remake. I don't think you liked it much. Mm-hmm. And as for the new Blumhouse, our fellow horror movie podcasters seem to hate it. Yep. Yeah, I was actually excited for it. I, I was interested to see where they would go with it, and they got a few good reviews, and then, you know, the the public has spoken, and they are not happy about it. No, I believe that preachy is one of the things I keep hearing about it. But anyway, mm-hmm. so we're just going to focus on the original 1974 Bob Clark film. Now, Joe Bob kicked off his Red Christmas with this. He talked a lot about the myths surrounding this movie. That, for example, it created the slasher film. What are mm-hmm. your thoughts on that? Uh, I think it created a lot of the tropes in slasher films, but it definitely wasn't the first. I mean, if you were to argue that it was, you'd have to look to at least Texas Chainsaw earlier that year, and if even further back with Blood Feast, and some would argue Psycho. So it's not the first slasher, but it did invent a lot of the tropes, I, I feel. Yeah, there's some tropes. There. There's definitely some things there we'll talk a little bit more about, because another thing that he brought up, and Bob, the late Bob Clark, God rest his soul, um, said this many times that this was the inspiration for Halloween. Right. Um, Joe Bob didn't seem to buy that. What say you? I would say that it did in the same way it inspired the horror genre. I would say that it did inspire Halloween. It isn't a direct um, sequel as many have have said it was intended to be, Um, nor do I think it is exactly how Bob Clark described a sequel to Black Christmas being that he said John Carpenter took the inspiration from. Uh, but I think that that babysitter, murder, you know, m- mysterious, ambiguous killer who's, you know, just wiping people out while, you know, being the most memorable part of the movie for some, I think that definitely was in Halloween as well, but but not a direct inspiration, I would say, more a um, something that we can look back on retrospectively. Well, certainly, I mean, John Carpenter, you know, liked Black Christmas, and there is the POV shot. Right. But, sure. uh, you know, and, and there's POV shot, there's killer, you know, in the house, you know. But other than that, I mean, it's kind of a stretch to say mm-hmm. that, you know, it's directly responsible for, and, for Halloween. Right. And there were also POV shots in, Blo- in Psycho and Peeping Tom. I mean, it wasn't a new invention. You know, the killer 
POV shot. But I think that the reason some are saying Black Christmas inspired that opening POV shot is because it's the opener, just like with Halloween. And it's a very mobile, kind of ambitious, uh, long POV shot, which is, I would say, a better um, claim to inspiring Halloween than in just it being a POV shot from the killer's perspective in general. Well, that and and I don't think Bob Clark knew this before he died, but his story doesn't gel with how Halloween came along. I mean, it was right. Yerwin Yablons uh, who came up with the idea of the babysitter killers and maybe babysitter murders. It was his idea to call it Halloween. John Carpenter suspected somebody already had that copyrighted and was shocked to find out there'd never been a movie called Halloween. And that was actually Yablons' idea. That was not and Mustafa Akkad and those guys that they came up with all that stuff. So, and there's no evidence that they knew anything about black Christmas. So I'm not quite so sure Bob got his facts right there. Right. But I would say for the hol- just the holiday slasher in general, it was the fir- the first most popular one. And I think most influential, of course we had some giallos from decades prior, not even decades, but, uh, set on holidays. But this is the one that I think of first, along with Halloween and stuff like my bloody Valentine for holiday slashers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, black Christmas is iconic though. At the time it was a flop. It was right. not a hit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Much it's in really the same cable way that... and VHS. Right, much in the same way that A Christmas Story was. If I'm understanding this correctly, it was originally a flop, but it came back when it went on TV. No, that's correct. There were a lot of those that kind of HBO rescued kind of in the 80s. The Hitcher Mm -hmm. was one, Eddie and the Cruisers. There were several movies like that, and Black Christmas was one that found an audience. Yet, Like you said, it was a cult classic. People knew it. This is one of Steve Martin's favorite movies. Right. (laughs) This is... Yeah. This was the late great Elvis Presley's favorite movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, it, you know, it, it, it had some eyes on it in the 70s, just not a lot of box office. So um, and, and I think there's a reason why it's remained a cult classic. First and foremost, the cast is outstanding, don't you think? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I would say this is an industry darling just because, you know, all the performances in it and the creative ideas that weren't appreciated maybe at the time, but you know, we can look back on them and say this was really, really influential for horror in general. When you have Olivia Hussey, you've got John Saxon, you've got Margot Margot Kidder. Right. Yeah. I mean, you've got, it's just from top to bottom. I think it's, it's, it's an absolutely great cast. And let's face it. um, If you look at films from kind of low budget horror movies that came out between 72 and, and 78, um, typically you would not say the performances are first rate. No. Um, With the exception, I think, being Texas Chainsaw, which has some of the most convincing performances, some of the worst, but also some of the most convincing. I was going to say also some of the worst. It's a mixed bag with Texas Mm -hmm. Chainsaw. I mean, Gunnar Hansen's fantastic. I think the family's fantastic. And then Franklin, Uh, who's good, but more annoying than any movie character, I think, in history. Yeah. But um, from top to bottom, I think this is just one of the best casts of any horror movie, low budget horror movie from from the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were talking about this when we were rewatching the Joe Bob uh, special together tonight. Um, the one thing that stands out here, because there's not a lot of blood, there's not a lot of gore. Right. Um, but the phone calls mm-hmm. are creepy. Yep, chilling. And I think a lot more graphic than a lot of what we heard in movies 
uh, up to that point. I mean, Texas Chainsaw had some pretty uh, blue comedy moments, but I mean, it's just really disgusting, uh, the words that are coming out of Billy's mouth. Well, yeah, initially, but then he, you know, I always just thought that was gross, but then he switches it up and starts talking about Agnes. Yeah, and he that's, starts thinking on his mom and dad's voice, and that that to me is when I it gets yep. really creepy. That is scarier for me. Yeah, I I love how ambiguous that is. As much as I would love answers, I think it works better with there's a, this guy's got a whole backstory, but we don't know it. Yeah, and which is what they tried to do in the 2006 remake, which I don't think worked at they all. That it was some good ideas that they did not stick the landing. At all, yeah, I didn't like it. I I think I liked it less than you, but I. I do think that, and of course, these voices being done, um, Bob Clark does the ones where Billy sings, Nick Mancuso um, does the rest of Billy's voice. He recorded it um, standing on his head mm-hmm. in order to put pressure on his, uh, you know, his, on his voice to, to, to sound creepier. And man, if, if you got phone calls like this, yeah. oh, oh, I think you'd be, you know. You know, you'd be looking to 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 make sure your your dog is around you. I'd be looking for a shotgun. Yep. Yeah, ah. I've got I've got a Rottweiler looking dog, so I think I'd be safe. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Um. Now, the phone calls, I think, and the cast, I think, those are the two strongest, you know, kind of arguments for why Black Christmas remains here. You know, forty five years later, that it's still a beloved film. But it has some problems. We were talking oh, about yeah. this. The red herring is not a good red herring. Mm-hmm. Would you yeah. just, I mean, come on. No, no. And it's, it's a lot of things are pointing towards him not being the killer. But also, there's a lot of inconsistencies. Like, he'll be outstanding creepily outside. But then we know Billy is actually inside the house and all the doors are locked and windows are locked. So how would that work and there's no phone outside or in the piano conservatory so lots of inconsistencies but it makes sense knowing that he's actually not the killer he's just kind of acting creepy and there are other plot holes i mean if you know billy is calling from inside the house Mm -hmm. he's being rather loud Uh um this is a pretty quiet house you know all the girls are kind of listening you would be able to hear that somebody was calling from in the house if they were talking that loudly Mm-hmm. Maybe there's uh, insulated attic walls. Maybe it's a, a recording studio for uh, an indie artist. You're stretching it, man. Um, I, yeah, I just don't. Th- and then we'll talk about more. We can talk more about the ending. The ending uh, is so disappointing. Um, you know, I, I have a background in law enforcement. I am a former prosecutor. If there, if you have a murder scene, one, you don't leave anybody at the murder scene. Um, (laughs) Two, if you have a murder scene, plus you still have missing bodies, you sweep the house. You Mm -hmm. don't just leave. Yep. I mean, it's a little ridiculous. Sure, but who are you to say that Canadian cops in 1974 weren't that incompetent? Well, but as they tried, as Joe Bob points out, sure, it's not it's actually not set Canada, in Canada. Right. It just looks like Canada and everybody's playing hockey and throwing snowballs. Oh, uh, yeah, but that could be New England. That could be Wisconsin. You know, you know, you don't know. Sure. Um, but sure. anyway, it has it has some problems, does it not? It's not a perfect yeah. movie. I would agree. Yeah, I would say that um, this movie 
is flawed, but I, I would say some of the, the flaws can be overlooked. Some of them don't detract from the movie, but there are a couple that the more you look into it, uh, they're a ri- little ridiculous, but I think you can find that in any movie, any cult classic movie. I mean, fr- the first Friday the 13th has all kinds of inconsistencies and like, how is Jason over here? You know, is he teleporting? So there's a certain amount of suspension of disbelief that you have to have going into a horror movie, I would say. Well, sure. But it's just those were kind of annoying to me. I mean, could you not have just, you know, them sweep the house and have Billy watching from the outside? I mean, we see Mm -hmm. him crawl up. He can't crawl down. You know, I mean, I don't I I, some of these just don't make any sense to me. But um, and also the very first victim Billy places, of course, in a rocking chair in front of a window in a, in a window yep. so yeah i don't know you can see her from the street uh-huh so they're like going into like we got to organize search parties where they go to the cops twice to say she's missing but you can see her from the sidewalk <laughs> right uh yeah this is true uh, yeah um, but why is Kevin Bacon's body a different shade than his head in Friday the 13th? You see what I mean? It's just like a different, well, I don't know. I, it doesn't bother to, me. To Only be when fair I think to, about it. To be fair to Friday the 13th and Tom Savini. He's um, watched on VHS. Exactly. It was not, nobody was thinking, you know, that 4K HD would be, you know, on the horizon in the next, you know, 25, 30 years. Um, so... Also, I, I think if there's a valuable life lesson from Black Christmas, uh, we were talking about this a few minutes ago, never own a cat. Right. They'll just get you <laughs> into trouble. Yeah, in Alien and in Black Christmas, it's teaching us that cats will get you killed. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, I mean, you said, I mean, you, if you had a dollar every mm-hmm. time they yelled for that cat Claude! in this movie. <laughs> it's so annoying. Claude, Claude. Yeah, she. at that point, I was kind of like, I don't really care if the house mother dies because she's going after that cat for no reason. She can't take it with her on the taxi. Like, what's she doing? I, I have no idea. She says she wants to say goodbye to it. Why does a cat care? Cats don't know, care if exactly. you say goodbye to them. As long as it's cat, fed, it won't make a fuss. If cats are itchy, they want you to scratch them. If cats are cold, they want to be on you. If cats are hungry, they will make all kinds of... Of noise. Other than that, cats don't care. You know, I I, I tell people I've uh, preached this from the pulpit. There is a difference between cat theology and dog theology, right? You have a dog, which you've had for for many years. Your dog, and so your dog looks at you. Duke looks at you, mm-hmm. and he says, "You walk me. You feed me. You take care of me. Therefore, you are God." <laughs> yep. A cat looks at you and goes, you feed me, you take care of me. Obviously, I am God. <laughs> right. And there is the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so Claude is God. Claude thinks he's God. Yes. Sure. Um, anyway, uh, what do you want to talk about with Black Christmas? Because I don't have a whole lot to say other than I just think it's a fun movie. I think it has some serious problems. I think because of the cast and because of what they did with Billy I think it stands out. But other than that, I just think it's a fun proto slasher. Sure. So one of the things that I noticed the most re- from my most recent viewing uh, tonight was the most innovative filming techniques I think I've seen in this year. I mean, Texas Chainsaw was shot guerrilla style, but this is some of the most lockdown, you know, 
most interesting shots, I think, the techniques like POV shots with a camera strapped to the operator's head, the wide zooms from stuff, um, the split diopters, which I think are used really well in this movie. They're all creatively used to deliver, like, terrifying visceral horror. I think the way we see this movie um is both through like sane eyes when it's all locked down and it's very dry camera work but when we're in billy's perspective it's erratic and moving around and things kind of uh are more grainy and the lighting is more extreme and contrasted um and that brings me to billy who is probably one of the most demented and ambiguous villains in all of horror. I mean, he's not even really a character. He's just a name and a killing machine in the same way that Michael Myers is, um, which actually makes him more scary. I mean, I wish we knew more about him, but I think ironically, if all of his backstories revealed, like in the 2006 remake, he wouldn't be as scary as he is because when he's on the phone and he's talking and screaming, that's terrifying. But if we knew exactly what he was talking about, I don't think it would be scary at all. And it does appear from the phone calls because this is probably I've probably seen this movie now seven or eight times. And, mm-hmm. you know, every time on the phone calls, the first couple, I don't really care about the, the you know, where he's acting like a pervert. But when he starts talking about Agnes, mm-hmm. that's when I would really zone in. It, it appears, though, he killed his sister. Right. Like Michael Myers. Is that is that how you took it? Yeah, I yeah, it from this movie's perspective, I think he killed his sister and ran away and his parents are, you know, a kind of abusive maybe and they're looking for him to punish him. Um because it sounds like his parents are sort of like Michael Myers' parents in uh, the Rob Zombie remake, you know, kind of crazy and and demented, which might explain why Billy is the way he is. But none of that is explained. We're kind of left to piece this together. And without subtitles, you know, back in the 70s, I don't think anybody could have pieced together exactly what he was talking about. Because looking at the subtitles now, he's saying stuff like, um, uh, we must know where he is, Agnes, and stuff like that. I would have never gotten that from, you know, the mumbling and screaming that he's, you know, putting through the phone receiver. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I don't think, you know, uh, I know that there have been several documentaries on this. I've only seen one of them, which wasn't great. Um, it's about 45 minutes and all Bob Clark talks about. They have kind of uh, footage before he he died. He was you know hit by a drunk driver on the Pacific Coast Highway. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he, all he talks about is how Black Christmas influenced Halloween and all this other kind of stuff. He doesn't really talk that much about Billy. Um, and I think he didn't want to talk much about Billy. But it, that seems to be about as much as the backstory as I can scrape together. I really think that's all we need. Because talking about the 2000, was it 2006, I think, remake, um, I saw it on DVD probably a year after it came out. Um, didn't like it at all really thought that there was no reason for them to go that, you know, deeply into kind of Billy's backstory. And from what I understand of the new Blumhouse uh, Black Christmas, there is no Billy. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, they use the title. It's a sorority house. It's Christmas. There are killings, but that's, and they use the title and that's about it. That's the only similarities. Right. Which I think is actually in concept more interesting than just using Billy again and kind of butchering the character. Um, I would rather them do it well, you know, do a kind of an anthology thing where it takes the name of Black Christmas, but it's just another kind of Christmas horror movie. But from what I'm hearing, not executed the best and uh, people are not too fond of it. 
Well, it was just that, you know, listening to our buddies over at Horror Movie Weekly and, you know, I respect Jay of the Dead. And Jay just said it's just, you know, he's all for feminist film. He's raising a daughter. He said, but he said it's just over the top. It's so preachy and in your face mm-hmm. that, you know, he just and, and people who listen to this podcast know I'm a huge Jordan Peele fan. Um, I'm a fanboy. I don't mind it when a movie has something political to say, whether I agree or disagree with the person's politics on the issue. That that's not that's not the point. Um, you know, as long as you don't beat me over the head with it, as long right. as it's more subtle, which I think Jordan Peele does very well in both Get Out and Us. And so I guess that's where they're going is that this is not subtle. This is mm-hmm. just, you know, and, and so I can kind of understand where they're coming from. Let me ask you this, because you're an, you're an aspiring filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll talk ratings and recommendations here in a bit. But, you know, I do think that you either like or at least appreciate this movie oh i love this movie i'll, I'll spoil okay. that right now okay could you remake this faithfully today probably not i think there's a lot of things in this movie that might not translate so well first of all um you couldn't have an anonymous caller where they would have to trace the call and everything you would just see that it's a number that you don't recognize and hang up, right? You wouldn't be like, oh, it might be Peter and answer the phone, um, which I don't – so I don't think that would work. You wouldn't need to trace and like find out exactly where the call is coming from because you have area codes. You can see exactly on caller ID. But um, another thing is that there's a lot of issues in this, um, not to get political or anything, but there's a huge moral dilemma in the movie about abortion, and I feel right. like that would be handled a lot more straightforward in a movie this in this day and age. Um, I feel like it would be less of a moral quandary uh, in the eyes of you know filmmakers. So I don't know. A lot of the elements probably wouldn't work because they would have to address uh, the call coming from inside the house. You know, how can they not hear him? I feel like movies these days are smart, like moviegoers are smart. They would figure out that that wouldn't work. You can't yell, scream at the top of your lungs and nobody hears you in an empty house. Um, They would have to address that. They would have to address the fact that the cop doesn't know what fellatio means. Like, I can't I don't think a single person in this Internet age and all these crazy memes out there wouldn't know what that means and. I think a lot of the humor maybe probably would have to be reinvented. So I don't think this could be faithfully remade, which is probably what they were thinking with this new remake this year from Blumhouse, that we have to go in a different direction with this because the tide has changed. You know, uh, moviegoers are different these days. What they find scary is different. And I'm not saying that this movie isn't scary. I think it succeeds in a lot of regards, more so than it fails. Um, I think it's a classic, a modern classic, but... I would say that if I were to remake this, I would go in a different direction, similar to the concept of this new movie, make it more of an anthology, you know, Black Christmas with a killer on Christmas, because I don't know how well I can handle Billy without just being super ambiguous again, because if I went specific, I would ruin people's, you know, they they make up a story in their head and I would ruin that for them. Yeah. Yeah. Going over it in my head, I'm not sure how you do it unless you, you know, killed someone and then took the victim's cell phone, I guess. I, I don't know how else mm-hmm. you would, you know, go about it. And yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, it would have to be, the house would have to be a lot different than the one in this movie. You'd have to have some way that people couldn't hear you shrieking and shouting Agnes and all the other mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So maybe it's like a shed, like an addition to the house. that's kind of separate. Maybe I don't know. Or, or a panic room or something, I guess. I don't know. Right. Uh, something like that. But, um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I give the movie its due. It is iconic. Um, you know, the, the POV shot is impressive. Uh, I love John Saxon. I think he's an undervalued and underappreciated actor. Uh, most horror fans know him from Nightmare on Elm Street 1 and 3. Uh, but he was just in all kinds of stuff in the 70s and 80s and into the 90s. Um, buddies with Bruce Lee. You know, he and he took this movie almost at the last minute. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. he gets off the plane two hours later. He's shooting his first scene. Um, Olivia Hussey is fantastic. Um, I love Margot Kidder as kind of the foul mouth alcoholic, you know, oh, yeah. never know, doesn't know how to, you know, when to shut up. Um, and the house mother and, and so forth. This was, you know, the third horror movie that Bob Clark made in a row. He did Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things. He did Death Dream and he did Black Christmas. Um, I'll go ahead and spoil it. All three of those are excellent. Um, mm -hmm. uh, Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things is very, very low budget, much more low budget than Black Christmas. Death Dream, I think, is one of the most underrated movies of the 70s. It's really, really good. And and uh, I believe it was Tom Savini's first movie, I believe. Um, where he was the assistant uh, special effects person. So mm -hmm. those movies definitely worth checking out. Bob Clark, of course, goes, you know, doesn't really do horror again. He does a thriller in the late 70s, Murder by Decree, a Sherlock Holmes movie, which is worth checking out. Then he does a bunch of comedies, as you said, Christmas Story, Porky's. Um, he did, an, I thought, an underrated um, legal drama comedy called From the Hip, uh, mm -hmm. in the eighties with Judd Nelson, which I've always, uh, always liked, but you know, he kind of left horror behind with black Christmas, which I think is a shame. He made good movies in, in the eighties Christmas story, probably being the most beloved. He made a lot of bad movies in the nineties. Would you have liked to have seen him gone on with horror and see what else he could have done after those three films? Maybe, but I'm, I'm worried that he would, you know, ruin the streak he had going with horror because there, as you said as he got later into his career he made a lot of movies that you know weren't up to snuff with his earlier films and quality so i feel like maybe he would have grown tired with the genre and we we see that he moved on to comedy mostly um so i i feel like maybe he would grow tired of the genre and his movies would be less and less inspired so i think i'm happy with what we got from him horror wise um i haven't seen death stream but that one has been on my watch list for forever i think i read about it in a book somewhere um and i was really interested in reading about that oh that that's right i read about it in the the uh 70s horror you know the two volume thing mm -hmm. that you like got Albert, me, yeah. Books. Yeah, yeah um that's where i read about it so yeah that's cool um i think he was good stopping here sometimes you can have too much of a good thing <laughs> Okay. So what else do you want to talk about Black Christmas? What else is in your notes there, buddy? Well, um, as you mentioned earlier, I think the cast is probably the standout feature of this movie. Um, Olivia Hussey and Margot Kidder are my favorite uh, actors in the movie. I think Olivia Hussey has like a commanding theatrical presence in the movie, you know, with that British accent. She really sets herself apart from the rest of the cast. And, and Kidder has some of the funniest deliveries, I think, in 70s horror by far. I mean, she's just full of one-liners and... I think it's probably my favorite role of hers that I can think of right now. I love her as Lois Lane in Superman, but I mean, I don't think she had a lot of room to really make that role her own. I think she had more to do in this movie and her kill scene is probably one of the most memorable in the film. I would oh, say. Oh yeah. Of the, 
the unicorn, right? Right. The, yeah, the, the glass unicorn stabbing set to Silent Night, uh, Holy Night. I almost said Deadly Night because I got horror on the on the brain. Yeah. But um, and and that scene probably really the most disturbing part of that is the camera work when she's being stabbed. It's really shaky, and there's kind of a low frame rate on it, so everything kind of leaves traces on the screen. It's a really weird effect, and, and it really disturbs me. It feels like we're in Barb's mind as, she, as she's dying. We're, we're experiencing this shock out of nowhere. That, that really disturbs me, especially with the caroling behind it, scoring it. I think that's a really great scene. Yeah, that's really eerie, the, the, the kids, right, that are, that are singing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That is an iconic scene. I think that in the bag scene, though, as you said before, you know, it's just pretty ridiculous that she thinks that there's a she's walking to her closet asking who's there. And again, Claude, Claude. Yeah, like the cat would be standing up. She sees a human silhouette, and she she asks if the cat is the one behind the plastic sheet. (laughs) What the heck? Um, But I guess you know, college age girl. She was probably just drinking at a party. I don't know. Maybe she thought it was a cat. Um, but I, I don't know. that that I think the kills in the movie overall are, are really disturbing, probably because they go on for so long. I feel like they're really long and drawn out. Um, even, you know, what I think is the quickest kill in the movie, which is the house mother, she gets kind of spiked in the face. It doesn't just cut away. You see her body being slowly dragged up into the attic as she, you know, kind of lurches and and dies and that's pretty disturbing especially the bag scene i think goes on for really long as she suffocates it's um really disheartening and disgusting almost but i don't know it's it's really iconic so kill scenes i think underrated for this movie obviously the bag is iconic you know with the rocking chair but the unicorn as we mentioned the house mother's death which even though it's kind of ridiculous the whole set i was gonna say that that one's ridiculous um i don't know how exactly a swinging hook like embeds it all the way in her body enough so that she can be drug up into the attic. I mean, she looked like she was a pretty hefty lady. I mean, she, that's a little hook, you know what I mean? He would have had to really drive that into her, but, um, you know, whatever. (laughs) Anyways, kill scenes. Great. I think the whole call coming from inside the house thing, it's really overplayed at this point, but at that point in film history, it was pretty, a pretty terrifying trip. I think it was fairly new that whole, you know, babysitter being called trope that wasn't seen in films too often although it had been done in short films and concepts before that so um lots of good ideas here i think a lot of good ideas from earlier shorts and movies were kind of put into this and made more iconic you know spread throughout the pop culture you know mind collectively yeah i you have to give this movie credit for for being pretty gutsy it has some firsts um but also, you know, talking about, remember, th- th- this came out in 1974. It was filmed, I think, in 1973. Um, Roe v. Wade, which legalized abortion, was less than a year old. This was still a right. taboo topic at, you know, at the time. Um, you know, and so uh, feminism um, is in its second wave. Feminism is kind of in its, you know, infancy. Um, and so... To have somebody like Margot Kidder talking the way she did and so forth, giving the kids liquor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, which is a great scene. I love that scene. Uh, it. This was a gutsy movie, was it not? Mm-hmm. Sure. 
Yeah, and and I don't think it's too in your face about the political issues. I mean, the the whole abortion thing with Olivia Hussey is can it's delivered as a as a moral quandary, as I mentioned earlier. It's not as straightforward as it would be now. I feel like, um, and I mean, it's interesting. They they portray Peter as the villain. I mean, he's crazy, and he he wants her to keep the baby, but she thinks it's gonna you know ruin her career. So there's that going on. Uh, there's a, there is that, that feminism hinted at with the, you know, all the, the women being strong and, um, you know, trying to piece this whole thing together themselves, all the sorority sisters. So I think it was pretty innovative, pretty, pretty daring. And, uh, it has a lot to say. I think you could dissect this probably in an essay of some kind and have it be pretty interesting because I don't think this is dissected enough. Well, it sounds like you have a subject for a paper in film school, don't you, buddy? Oh, I have written so many papers in, for college classes so far this year. I cannot take on another. <laughs> okay. I um, I will tell you that uh, among the many things here that I like about this, also one thing I want to mention, one thing is kind of weird. The score is pretty minimalistic. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's not yeah. much there. And I, I saw an interview with the composer this morning on a documentary I watched on YouTube where he basically said he phoned it in. He said, if I'd known it had been around this long, I would actually put more work into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think when it is in the movie, it's pretty effective. I mean, we've got like the, the choral elements um, with the kids singing hymns. I think that's pretty creepy when it's, it's utilized, but there is, I mean, most of the music in the movie is coming from record players and radios um, and, you know, physical places in the movie I heard Joe Bob talking about the fact that originally it was supposed to be kind of an abstract film score based on this uh, kind of avant-garde composer. And I think that would have been really interesting just to hear all this weird kind of black midi style music in this movie, though I think it would probably detract from the kind of eerie, creepy, silent nature of some of the, the horror scenes. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a, I think the score is okay. I think it works for what it's doing, but what I do love is I do love uh, the poster uh, right. that we see on most, you know, Blu-rays and so forth, uh, which we've mentioned before, the, you know, the corpse and the bag and the rocking chair. I think that's effective. I also like the shot, which is using some poster, posters and covers of Billy with his one eye in the light and the, the unicorn raised over his head. I think that's a great shot. And but but I, I do think it's ruined these days while watching it in HD that you can see the face of Billy more. I think it would be more effective if his face was plugged in shadows except for the eye. Um, which well, maybe, you know, we, we, we had to take a week off because you had finals, so we haven't recorded in a while. But last time we recorded on episode 25, Barely Ashley, you know, made the argument that, you know what, some movies you just have to see on VHS. I have to see it, yep. I'm going to have to start looking into that as an investment because I think it does kind of ruin the suspense when you can see who the killer is. So I might, and some of the effects, you know, look better in, um, with the grain, you know, the VHS uh, effect on it. So I'm going to have to invest in that. I think I'd be more interested in VHS rather than like vinyl records because, um, you know, with vinyl records, the main argument is that it's it's sound the sound quality is really high but as we get further and further with like itunes and it's streaming in crazy high uh definition i feel like the argument for vinyl is less and less whereas with vhs we want it to be grainy we don't want to see the effects and the in the who the killer is so i think that's an investment that'll appreciate 
Yeah, as somebody who remembers going from vinyl to CD in the 80s, uh, I remember when CDs came out, I just praise the heavens because they, I think it sounds a lot better than vinyl and vinyl gets scratched up too easy. But I, um, and they're but huge. The, you can't, you can't really take yeah. those huge vinyl records without fearing that they'll chip in half. You can't really stuff those into a car. Um, so convenience. Yeah. But VHSs yeah. are not as convenient as streaming. No, but I do think, I do think Ashley has a point. There are some movies that are just better. Like you said, on Friday 13th or a black Christmas that probably do look better on VHS. Or so, return of the living dead as yep, she recommended. Yep. Absolutely. So, all right. I, I do like this movie a lot. I have problems with it. I was looking over my list. I've been over on letterboxd where you can follow both of us. We both have letterboxd accounts over there, but I was looking over my letterbox list for 1974. I've been working through horror movies year by year. And in 1974, here's my top 10 list. All right. Is this, mm -hmm. let's see. Number 10, Reflections of Murder, which is an early John Badham uh, movie. Vincent Price and Madhouse is my number nine. Uh, Deranged, um, which is an Alan Ormsby movie who was usually Bob Clark's a collaborator right. uh, and was also another movie that uh, Tom Savini worked on as assistant FX a movie I know you love um, coming in at number seven Captain Kronos oh yeah yep one of my favorite Hammer movies number six Black Christmas okay number That's five fair. the blood spattered blood spattered bride which I love splattered mm -hmm. right um, number four Bob Clark's death dream Okay. So I put it in front of Black Christmas. And my top three, The Wicker Man, right. young, young Frankenstein, horror comedy, and number oh, one, yeah. Texas, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So I, I think, yeah, I think, I think that's fair, except for I haven't seen The, the Blood Splatter Bride. But I think it's all fair, um, with the exception of maybe Young Frankenstein, with, which I would say is more comedy than horror. Overall, I wouldn't put that on a horror list, but I could, it, it definitely is based around obviously the the horror oh, IP, on. which is the, they use the they use the same set, man, from Bride of Frankenstein. Are you kidding me? It's yeah, but also uh, like American movie. I don't think you would consider American movie a, a horror movie, even though it's about a horror movie making Coven, you know, a horror movie. Uh, I wouldn't. I, I, I wouldn't say. Nope. I, I I'm sticking with it because I still have I have Ghostbusters on my 84 list. I also have uh, Love at First Bite on my 79 list. So I'm That's sticking right. with so it. So you're 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 genre fluid. You you think that? Yeah, I I can see that. I'm, no, I just think I think, I, I, I think horror is a wide genre. It can, it can encapsulate. Right. I think that thrillers uh, can can bleed over into horror. I think action movies can. We saw that in the 80s with Silent right. Rage and Ten to Midnight and Cobra and you know so forth. Okay, and so, so would you would you consider um, Tucker and Dale a straight a horror movie, even though it's mostly a comedy? I would call it a horror comedy. Yeah, I would consider it comedy horror, which I I think is different. That's that's really strict, I know, but horror comedy and comedy horror I think are much different. Like horror comedy is a horror movie that's funny, and comedy horror is a comedy movie that's scary. Yeah, okay, well I will agree to disagree, but I I think people get way too. Uh, been out of shape on on what is horror and, and and what is not. I like I said, I, I agree with Dr. Rebecca McKendry that uh, horror is in the eyes of the beholder. Um, but that being said, my point is: so Black Christmas was my number six on 1974, my top ten list for 1974, which is a strong year. 
I mean, right. you're you're looking at a number of great, and yeah, you definitely need to see the blood splattered bride. You can find it on YouTube. It's it's a mm-hmm. good movie. Um, but yeah, Death I'm seen I'm seen Death Dream, but that sounds like a really interesting concept, uh, and that was very much in the minds of the people, the Vietnam War uh, kind of fears at that time. Oh yeah, Vietnam was still going on at the time. I mean, we didn't, you know, uh, Nixon started to withdraw us by that point, but it wasn't until you know a few years later that it's we're really finally out. So. It's, but, you know, this family who prays for their son's return, they think he's dead. He shows back up, but he's a zombie. It's, it's, it's pretty dark and it's, it's, but it's very well done. And the cast there is also very strong. So I would definitely check that out. But Black Christmas for me, um, I really like it. Um, I do not own it, but I probably will buy it, um, and so I, I, I'm very high on the movie, but I do think it has its problems. Anything else you want to point out before we go to our ratings and recommendations on Black Christmas? Yeah, I've just got two two short things. Oh. Um, the first thing is I think the last, the ending shot is terrifying, how it's completely silent and it's got the slow zoom out through the window and then out to the house with the body rocking in the window. That's terrifying. It doesn't make much sense logically because there's a cop right outside. He would see the body. Right. But in execution, it's pretty scary. Um, I think you're originally supposed to believe, oh, it's a close-up. We're inside the house. But then it zooms out further and further, and you realize it's really like a wide, I guess, like telephoto kind of effect. Um, so I think that's really creepy how it just kind of slowly zooms you know, out, and then the credits roll over it. So right. that's, that's creepy. Also, I have, I have one complaint I do want to highlight, though, about this movie. The whole... Um, you know, you got to keep him on the phone longer. We got to trace where it's coming from. That goes on for a little too long, I feel like. That whole scene is 10 minutes long where she's running back through the phones and trying to keep him on the line longer. And they keep calling back and say, oh, we almost got him. We're, we're narrowing it down. She calls him. He, she gets calls from him like three times. And I think it goes on a little too long. But it kind of makes sense because, you know, the primitive technology back then. But. If I were to quibble, that would be my main complaint with the movie. Not so much the inconsistencies with the red herring, but really that from a pacing perspective. Okay, fair enough. Um, so I um, I don't know what I rated this on the letterbox. I'm not going to go back and look. I'm just going to go for it. I, as far as my rating and recommendation, I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to call it a must-watch, if not a buy. Um I do think it's kind of a mandatory Christmas viewing for horror fans. So we watched it last Christmas and this Christmas. So Mm -hmm. um, that's where I'm coming in. What about you? Well, this is the rare instance where I'm actually coming in higher than you on a movie. Um, That may may have never happened before. Well, it happened with, um, I think, maybe Children of of the Corn and possibly some of the sequels we talked about. Oh, yeah. In the... uh, the last Romero dead movie, I rated it higher than you did, Survival of the Dead. Oh, so, that's um, true. Yeah, that uh, I, I would call this a 9 out of 10. I would say, from a rating perspective, buy it, but it's on Shudder now that Joe Bob's covered it, so I would say just stream it on Shudder. That's much more convenient. Um, Are you listening so, to that, Craig Angler and Shudder, if you want to uh, sponsor us, we're, we're, we're yeah. open to that. We would love a sponsorship. We use your service. We actually use it. So Jackson's that taking college great. classes. He, he's, he's a starving student. Come on. Get, yes, get, please. All, 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 all sponsorship funds will go to Jackson, I promise. I need to pay for my meal plan. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so 9 out of 10, I would say stream this uh, as soon as possible. You know, during this holiday season, it's definitely most effective um, rather than if you watched it in, like, I don't know, September. So that's that's where I'm coming in. Well, folks, we, we're happy you tuned in. Again, we hope you have a Merry, Merry Christmas. We hope to have this out uh, on Christmas Eve 2019. We hope to record several podcasts over the next uh, week to have some in the can we're going to have a good buddy of ours on as a guest. We're uh, slowly getting our top 10 list ready for the end of the year. I know you definitely want to see Parasite before we mm-hmm. do that. You, you've got to see The Lighthouse a couple times this week. And so I know there are a few more that you have on your list to see. So we've got those coming up, Lord willing. If you'd like to be a guest uh, on the show, let us know. We've got a couple people that have already said they would. And so just a matter of scheduling them. <clears throat> Please be sure to rate and review us over on iTunes. Uh, We would really appreciate a five-star review, especially since someone gave us a (laughs) one-star review. We've got... It's got like we've got nothing but we've got one one star review and all the rest of them are five star reviews, which gives us like a four point five for some reason. So we would appreciate a five star uh, review. And so if you would do that, we'd help also just get the word out. If you could just share this on Twitter and so forth, you can find Father and Son Watch Horror on Twitter, on Instagram. We also you can go to our website, Father and Son Watch And we have a closed Facebook group. If you send me a Facebook message, you can um, grab us there online. So. Where can they find you online, buddy? Well, on Twitter, I'm at Kane underscore Hero 12. That's K-A-I-N-E underscore Hero 12. Um, that last part is one word. And on Letterboxd, I'm at Kane Hero, one word. Uh, I've got a YouTube channel. That's linked in the bios of both of those websites. Oh, there you go. Be sure to check out his top 10 Hammer Horror films. Oh, yeah. um, as that's my favorite. So you can find me also on Twitter, Pastor Matt R, also on Letterboxd. And so um, would appreciate you reaching out for that. Jackson, thank you for the theme music. And we should have some new Christmas music, hopefully, that uh, our lovely producer and editor, Megan, should put together. We would thank her for taking the time to produce and edit and render this for us. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to, uh, a, a day or so after Christmas, head out of town and head to Pittsburgh to see some sights. Dawn of the oh, Dead, yeah. Night of the Living Dead, Silence of the Lambs, the My Bloody Valentine remake, and also hopefully get to see Parasite in the theaters before it goes out. Though I will tell you, Parasite is right up there. Um, some people say it's not horror. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may not think it's horror. It's definitely black comedy for the first hour and a half. And then mm-hmm. I then I think it goes horror for the last uh, last act. Um, but it's, I loved it. I think it's amazing. I hope you get to see it. I hope everyone gets to see it. I did see that it will be available to buy on Amazon mid January and, and the DVD drops the end of January. So it's not oh, awesome. that far away. So yeah, be man. sure to check out Parasite. I'm not just speaking for myself. Greg Amortis loved it as well. So over there to land our good buddies over at Land of the Creep. So, you know, be sure to check that out before you put your top 10 list together. I think you and I would both agree. Make sure you have Shudder and watch. There are two movies I think you and I can agree on that are over at Shudder that you have to see before you make out a top 10 list. One Cut of the Dead, and Tigers Are Not Afraid. Absolutely, yeah. Two of the best foreign films, I think, of the decade, maybe. Oh, absolutely. And that's something we need to do, too, because a lot of people, we forget, we're, we're at the end of a decade, man. we got to come up mm-hmm. with a top 10 decade list, you know, top 10 oh, horror yeah. films of the decade. That'll be we got to get that together. Yeah, that'll be tough. That'll be tough. I know that that Jordan Peele's going to be well-represented in there. 
mm-hmm. you know, and then there's Cabin in the Woods I love, um, Bone Tomahawk I love, but uh, here's what I was hereditary, what I, but the other five is really going to be difficult. Right. Here's what I was thinking. I'm going to go back through my lists and pick one from every year, you know what I mean, from every top ten list. I could go back to my top ten list uh, from last year and, and pick one out from there and one from this year so that I could represent, you know, each year. I think that would be interesting as well. So. That would be interesting. Maybe we'll do that. All right. So, <laughs> folks, uh, we hope you have a wonderful and safe holiday season. Happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas. Have a great New Year that we should be back before that. Are we going to do New Year's, New Year's Evil? I mean. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I don't know if I can sit through that. Oh, man, I remember we watched it last year, and I was fidgeting the whole time. Evil. Oh, my uh, gosh. <laughs> hey, but it had a rocking soundtrack. You cannot deny that. That's true. We can always do Look, Look, Terror Train is a yes, New Year's Eve. that's true. I, I think that is a better film, so. Okay. All right. Well, say goodbye to the good people, Jackson. Goodbye, and remember to pay the bill on your attic phones. Who has an attic phone? Billy does. Billy the, kid, does. the people at uh, at Pi Kappa uh, what, Sig Sigma? have yeah Sig- Pi Kappa okay. Sig. They have a uh, attic phone. Oh boy. Okay. Well, folks, we'll catch you next time. Remember, the family that watches horror together stays together. See you next time. <laughs>